We're starting a new series this morning. Um, so you see that beautiful green water um, on the computer? It's actually very bright, beautiful blue. But, um, but our bulb has been slowly burning out on our projector. And so we actually have a new bulb. So hopefully it'll be nice and bright blue again next week. If not, then I guess we'll have to spend a few thousand dollars on your projector. So pray for the bulb. So <laughs> pray, that, pray that works out. So anyway, that's good. Um, so we're starting a new series today called Go Fish. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be uh, uh, looking at um, what it means to be a disciple of Christ and how we help other people become disciples of Christ. Um, you know, just, just that whole world, because um, really that's what all this is about. If we're not becoming disciples and making disciples, then uh, it's football season and we're missing good games. So like, like w- w- our reason for being here is to be disciples and make disciples. Amen. And so, so that's what we're going to do. And we, we, we as a church, we get this uh, concept of, or, or the way we define discipleship uh, comes from a story where Jesus called his first disciples. And I'll, I'll go ahead and put that uh, um, next slide up there. Is, it comes from uh, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus calls his first disciples and he tells them, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And in doing that, uh, he kind of gives us three little looks, three little definitions of what it means to be a disciple. So lately, you may have seen we've added to our logo a little triangle that goes around it. This is where we get this triangle. It's just kind of a way of trying to hook and hook our church into this concept of we're here for uh, the purpose of discipleship. And so he, first of all, he says, follow me. So disciples are people who are following Jesus Christ. Now, that may seem like a no-brainer, but, but it's a very important distinction because if you're not, and we're going to talk about that more today especially, but if you're not following Jesus, then you can't be a disciple. A disciple, especially back in Jesus' time, was somebody who found a rabbi who was a good teacher, uh, and it may, not necessarily even a rabbi. It could have been a, a Greek philosopher or somebody like that, but somebody that they wanted to be a student of, and they would begin to follow them. And to follow them meant that they literally handed their life over to the te- their teacher, and they would go where he went, listen to what he taught, do life the way he suggested life should be done. They really did that. That's what a disciple was. And so it's somebody who's following Jesus. Like I said, we'll get into more of that in just a second. Uh, the next thing is that he says, follow me and I'll make you. I'll make you. In other words, I'm going to turn you from this person into a different person. I'm going to make you over into someone else. So a disciple is somebody who's not just following Jesus, but somebody who's being changed by Jesus. So as disciples of Jesus Christ, it's not just enough to kind of show up to church. That's, a, that, that's an important aspect of our faith, and we'll talk about that later too. But, but it's somebody who willfully submits themselves to Christ and says, I give you permission to make hard changes in my life so that I begin to look less like me and more like you. Right? And so we turn our lives over to him and we say, change whatever you need to change about me so that I can be who you've called me to be. Following Jesus, there's somebody who's being changed by Jesus. And finally, he says, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And I'm going to teach you how to make other disciples. He, we're people who are living on mission for Jesus as well. So that's one of the most beautiful things about the Christian faith is that he, the, that this faith answers so many of life's questions of 
Um, what, what's the whole meaning of life? Why, are we do, why do we do what we do? Why are we even here? And it's all wrapped up in God's purposes for our life. And so oftentimes, Christ followers who stay close to Christ and really look for the meaning of their lives in Jesus Christ find out that they find that true sense of purpose and identity and mission in their lives in the things that Jesus Christ has called them to do. And this, this, this goes into lots of different areas of our life. Last service, I was talking about how um, even as, as parents, Jamie and I, when we were having kids, I mean, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of times, you know, couples get married and, you know, they want to have kids and, and we were no different. But for me anyway, and I, I think for Jamie too, but for me, it wasn't that we, I didn't want to have kids just because I felt like the world needed more people that looked like Jeff Myers or that there was a severe shortage of the Myers clan in the world. You know, it, it wasn't that. I wanted to have children because I wanted to pass on a legacy of faith to generations that would come behind me. That's, that was literally my, my first motivation in wanting to have children. I wanted to pass on my faith from my generation to the next, the way it was passed on from generation to generation to me. Uh, I, and, and, you know, there's this great scripture in, uh, uh, in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews, he just finishes up chapter 11, where he, uh, we call it the Hall of Fame of Faith, uh, where he says, you know, by faith, Adam did this, and by faith, Noah did this, and by faith, and he goes on the list of all these kind of biblical heroes and, and how strong their faith was. And then he encapsulates it all at the beginning of chapter 12, and he says, therefore, by, by, therefore because of all that faith, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and he's painting this image of a coliseum where we are all athletes or players or whatever on the field of the Colosseum, and all those who have gone on before us are in the stands as this great cloud of witnesses. And I look forward to the day where one day I'm in that great cloud of witnesses looking down on uh, on, on the generations that have come after me and cheering them on in their faith the way I'm confident that my grandparents are cheering me on and my great-grandparents are cheering me on and on and on and on. Like, I, I love that. It's something we get, our mission becomes all about Jesus. It becomes all about being a disciple and making disciples. And so we're going to talk about that for the next few weeks. And we're using this fishing imagery uh, and the Go Fish, uh, um, you know, series title and stuff like that. I, does anybody like fishing? Anybody? A few, a few of you? Like, I, um, I enjoy fishing. I wouldn't call myself a fisherman, but, um, but I really do. I grew up fishing, I, and I really enjoyed it, especially as a kid. My grandpa had a big ranch and, and several stock ponds, you know, all over the ranch. And and I used to love just getting my rod and reel and going out to one of the ponds and, and just sitting either by myself or with one of my brothers, like he was across the, you know, the other side of the pond, so we didn't really talk to one another. But just, just kind of being out there alone, and there's just something about fishing, the, the casting, the reeling back in, it becomes automatic. It becomes, um, you can be brainless about it almost. It just, just kind of, it, it, just, it just turns into this autopilot thing. And, and I, even as a child, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, I can remember sitting out there and just feeling like God was downloading stuff into my brain as I sat out there just, just fishing, just, just these kind of sweet, a sweet time of prayer even as a kid uh, while I'd be fishing. And, and so I liked the solo aspect of fishing, and, and, and there was this great, I was going to say it's a great song, I'm not sure it's a great song or not, but there was a song when I was a kid, uh, for those of you who've been in church for a lot of, a lot of years, uh, you remember the, the Gaithers, uh, they used to 
go around singing and writing all these songs and stuff, but they used to do these Gaither Kids albums, and there was this one song on the, that I used to sing all the time that was on one of those albums called God Loves to Talk to Little Boys While They're Fishing. Anybody, anybody ever hear that song? God Loves to Talk to Little Boys While They're Fishing. It seems to be the times boy, li, boys listen best. That's the way it goes. But anyway, um, but that was me. That was, I just, I loved getting out there and just, just kind of spending time with God as a kid. But in addition to the solo aspect of, of enjoying fishing, there's also a, a communal aspect of fishing that can take place too. There's nothing like getting with a bunch of friends or, or family members on, on, on a boat and kind of sitting around a cooler or whatever and, and fishing together and accidentally hooking each other in the face and, you know, that sort of thing. That, that's, there's a communal uh, aspect that, that can happen around fishing that's, that's really good too. And it's kind of the same thing in our own lives as disciples of Jesus Christ, we, there is a solo aspect to our faith in that no one can grow your faith for you. There are things you have to do on your own to, you know, to make decisions on your own to, to kind of mature in your faith. But it also happens best in the context of community. And you can't those two things are married together. You cannot separate them. You can't just do solo faith, and you can't just do communal faith. There has to be a, a mesh of both. There ha- both have to be in place for you to really grow and mature in your faith. And so we'll, we'll kind of hit that and talk about that. But the passage I really want to focus on today comes from John chapter 15, if you want to turn over there in your Bibles. John chapter 15. And this, this is a, a passage of Scripture where uh, Jesus has come to the end of his ministry. He's just had what we call uh, the upper room uh, experience where he celebrated the very first communion or Lord's Supper with his disciples. He gathered his core disciples in this upper room and, uh, and they shared the, the Passover meal, which turned into the communion meal for us as Christians. And um, he said some really great things to them. He washed their feet. That, that's a whole great story you could read too. But then for the next two or three chapters of, of John, he goes into... Um, just kind of giving them parting words because he knows he's getting ready to be arrested and eventually tried and crucified, right? And so right before he's arrested, he spends a few chapters just downloading information into his disciples. It's like, it's like he knows it's coming, and it's like, I got to make sure I say this. And so he talks to them a lot about the unity that he hopes they have and, and, and other expectations and, and advice that he has for them and stuff. And so in this passage, John chapter 15, starting with verse 1, he, he brings up this concept of, he said, I need for you to abide in me. We're going we're gonna to hit that. But abide is one of those weird words. Like, like um, does anybody, anybody here use the word abide in your normal everyday language when you're talking to people? No, no, it's not a word that we tend, like all I know about abide is from, you know, Coen Brothers movies. I know the dude abides. That, that's all I know. Um, that's a, if you don't get that, that's okay. Um, anyway, so, but, it, but yeah, the dude abides and, and Jesus told us to abide, but what does that mean? And so, um, the, the word, we'll get to the word here in just a second, but, but just to kind of give you a heads up, um, the closest kind of modern day equivalent to that word that, that might help you understand what he's meaning is it kind of means the same as remain. And so a lot of your translations may say, actually use the, that word remain, remain in me. In other words, stay close to me. Don't, don't separate from me. Stay with me. In other words, follow me. Follow me closely, right? And if you're a parent, you've said this to your kids. Stay with me. You know, you're in a store. Stay with me. Or they go outside and play. Stay where I can see you out the window. You know, that sort of, you know, and, and, and you, get, you, see, you want them to stay close. And Jesus has given the similar advice to 
for us to remain in him or abide in him. So John 15, starting with verse 1, he uses this agricultural imagery and he says this. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So as people here kind of, you know, living in the shadow of Napa Valley, we kind of understand the imagery that he's bringing up. He's talking about, you know, it's vineyard imagery. And um, I, I was doing a little kind of research about uh, the terms that he's using, and, and, I, and I, I kind of pulled up some graphs of a grape, not a graph, just an illustration of a grape plant uh, and what all the individual parts are called and everything. And so just if any of you work in that industry, in the wine or grape industry, then just know that the terms that you use aren't exactly the same terms that the biblical writers use or that people in that time use. So, so for instance, for the biblical writers, they had they would refer to, in, when it comes to the grape plant, the, the trunk, which would be the, the thick stalk that comes up out of the ground, right? Um, and then you have, from the trunk, you have still the thick, um, very similar material to the trunk uh, that goes off to the side a little bit. What's that? What do we call that? Huh? Yeah, yeah, very good. Branches or vines. A lot of people would think branches, but actually, no, the thick part is actually the vines in, in, in biblical uh, um, uh, language. And so the thick, the thick part that goes off to the sides is the vines. Now, the little squirrely things that come off that produce the grapes, uh, the thinner ones, the very flexible ones, those are actually branches. I would have thought it was the other way around. But, but, so you have trunk, vines, branches, fruit, right? So that was, that was pretty fancy. That's pretty fancy, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to do it as a one and done thing. So anyway, um, but anyway, so, so yeah, that's the way, that's the imagery that, that Jesus, that's the, the way he's wording all this, okay? And so, <clears throat> so, but look at what he just said, what we just read. He says, so if, um, so every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes, the father, the vine dresser, he takes away, cuts it off. Why? Because it's not bearing fruit, it's useful. You can make room for one that will bear fruit. So, and then he says this. And every branch that does bear fruit, so these are fruit-producing branches, you would think, man, he would just look back at those and go, good job, branch, good job. But no, every fruit, every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? He prunes it. He still cuts it. He's still chopping on it, right? Why? And he tells us why. So that it may bear more fruit. So this is it's a really interesting dynamic there that if you're not bearing fruit, you're, you're, you're cut off, you're cut away so, to make, make room. If you are bearing fruit, you're cut on. Um, it's still a difficult process. And that, that's what we talked about earlier, that process of us submitting ourselves to Christ for the purpose of him changing us into what he needs us to be. You might look at your life and go, I've got some pretty good grapes here. I've got, things are going pretty good, right? The fruit's okay. God's looking at that going, those are some decent grapes. I think we can do better, right? Anybody ever... Like, I, I love a good grape. Uh, it's just a, such a satisfying snack, a, a little grape. I really love it. it um, but you ever go to a really nice party where they lay out those big grapes, like fist-sized grapes? They're not fist-sized, but maybe my thumb. Baby fist, baby fist-sized. So, so, but those huge grapes that are like a meal in a grape, I, I love those giant grapes. Those are the best. And I think God's looking 
at us going, yeah, it's pretty good, but we can, we can do better if, if, if you continue to submit to me and do this. So he goes on and he says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I, there's that word, abide in me and I in you. Stay with me, remain in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, get this, commit this to memory this week, roll it around in your head all week long. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. The problem with a lot of us is that we convince ourselves that apart from Jesus, there's actually quite a bit we can do. But Jesus actually says, when it comes to the things that matter, when it comes to things that will really last, that will really leave a legacy in this world, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. How many of us would admit, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us could, if you're honest with yourself, admit you've spent a lot of time in your life working apart from Christ, trying to, you know, conjure up things on your own and make this world or make your life better on your own or whatever. And, and when you draw back close to Christ, you realize how much you were actually spinning your wheels and all that effort, how much kind of for nothing it all was. Because again, when, we're, when we abide in him, when we remain in him, when we reattach ourselves to the vine, stay close to Christ, when we do that, we suddenly remember that we have to follow him. We remember that we still have a lot of change in our life that he needs to bring us through. We remember the mission that he's called us to, and, we, and, and life begins to make more sense again. He goes on in verse, chapter, or verse 6, he says this, um, If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Okay, that's a little bit grim. It's a little bit grim. So if you're not abiding in him, you're gathered up, you're thrown away, gathered up, and burned. I, I, I'll let you decipher for yourself what you think that might mean. Uh, I just know it doesn't sound good, right? It doesn't sound good. None of us are hoping to get to heaven only to be told your home is the burn pile, right? Like, like that's, that's, not, that's not what any of us are hoping. So, um, so abide in him. And then he goes on, he says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The proof that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ is the fruit that you are bearing. Now, this is a really interesting area of church life where we get to get all judgy with each other. Um, I'm just teasing, but only a little bit. So... Um, <laughs> I had this friend in college, he was my best friend in college, and uh, uh, he lived about an hour and a half away from the school that we went to, and, and occasionally I would go home with him for the weekend. He, his, his family was great, his mom and dad were awesome, and, and his mom was an amazing cook, and I just loved eating her food. And so it was a good time whenever I got to go to Mike's house. And so, uh, but Mike's mom would, always had this uh, phrase, you know, she gets, as churchy people do, uh, thank God, uh, no churchy people in, in this room. But, but, but as church people tend to do, she gets talking about people and, uh, and starts sounding a little judgmental. And, and, but then she would, she would always go, I'm not judging them. I'm just a fruit inspector. 
That's what she would say. I love that phrase. I'm just a fruit inspector, right? There's a little bit of truth to that in that, you know, can we all agree that judgment is above our pay grade? That's not our job, right? The judgment is God's job. We have a judge. It's him. It's not us, okay? But there is an aspect that, uh, of Christian life that t- can take place between brothers and sisters in Christ where we can observe the fruit that's being produced in each other's life. And I think it's actually a really loving thing for brothers and sisters in Christ to do, to sit down with somebody that you think might be struggling in their faith and go, just, just pose that question to them. What fruit do you, th- you think is going on in your life right now? What, what fruit you know, is happening you know, because of your, your faith or your walk with Christ? And get that conversation going and maybe help them kind of get back on the vine and start producing more or better fruit or whatever. I think, I think God uses us that way to sharpen each other, so it's a really good thing. But I love that. I'm not, I'm not a judge. I'm just a fruit inspector. So uh, then he goes on. He says this. Um, if you... Da, 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 where am I? Um, oh, as, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide there. That's good advice, too. Stay there. Stay in the love of Christ. Remain right there. Don't let yourself wander too far away from Christ's love. When, you, when, you, when your head starts working overtime, and it seems like the enemy's just working through your thoughts, telling you how unlovely you are, how unlovable you are, how worthless you are, and Jesus the whole time is just like, just stay right here. You're loved. You're loved. I go to across heaven and earth, go through life and death to prove my love for you. Stay right here with me. And he says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's like, when you abide in me, when you obey my commandments and stay close to me and really kind of bask in the love of Christ, when you do that, it glorifies God. It brings joy to him. And then God does this really beautiful thing where us following him, staying close to him, abiding in him, brings him joy. And then the overflow of that joy that God gets, that he shares with and spills down into us and brings us joy too. It's a beautiful God, the way he shares. He shares in all kinds of different aspects. I mean, you compare him to the other so-called gods, uh, across the world, either in this time or in previous times, you know, ancient times or whatever, the gods oftentimes are angry and spiteful, and and uh, you know, the humans are just peons to be squashed or pushed out of the way, or you know, it's it's a very interesting relationship between the gods and humans, and there's a lot of fear. That's why there was a lot of child sacrifice and human sacrifice going on in ancient times because. Because everybody was just like, ah, you know, some natural earthquake happened or something. And they're like, ah, God's angry at us. You know, you go kill your kid and give it to him. And, and maybe that'll appease him. And so it's just this fear thing that went on. And God, the, the, the God of the Bible, though, is so much different. He, he's a God who shares. He's a God who has all the power and all the authority and all the everything. I mean, he's God. And yet he does this very uncharacteristically God thing, which is, which is that he, instead of keeping all that power and authority to himself, he shares it, even from the very beginning, first couple chapters of Genesis. He creates the entire universe, and then he creates humans, and he says, I'm sharing my authority over this creation with you. Help me, Lord, over this creation. Help me to manage it, to, 
to, to, to, to oversee it. He shares that with us. You go on, you know, and he's constantly, constantly sharing. Jesus, right before he ascends back to the Father, you know, he's already gone through the resurrection and everything, and Jesus, he, he, says, uh, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's what Jesus says. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy he, so what Jesus is actually saying is, I know, Jesus, I know that I have all authority over in heaven and earth. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share some of that authority with you and send you out to go and make disciples. It's this very sharing thing, and he calls us to partner with him and bringing about his kingdom and all. He's just this beautiful sharing God. And so he does the same thing with us in terms of just something as simple as joy. He's like, you fill me up with joy when you follow me and stay close to me. I'm going to let that spill over into you and fill you up with joy as well. He was awesome. God's awesome that way. So, so this idea of, of abiding in him. So look at that graph again, that, that uh, uh, definition of discipleship on our very murky green water. Um, and so, it, um, so what does that look like for us practically to be abiding in Christ? Like, how do, we, how do we actually do that? Let's, let's look at, if we're going to be people who are following Jesus, how do we follow him in a way that, is, that, that, that shows us like remaining with him or, or abiding in him? I think it, it, one way is what we're doing today. We, we gather together and we worship together and we, we, we learn together and we, we seek God together, we pray together. That, that aspect of community is critical and it happens here uh, it happens in a greater way in the context of a group. Why, is group. why are groups greater than worship service? Groups are greater than worship service because in this room, it's, it's, I'm the only one with a mic, and you, you all are just staring at the back of other people's heads, right? In a group, you're in a, like, like one of the things we say in groups is that circles are better than rows, right? Circles are better than rows. And so we get together in a circle in somebody's living room or whatever. We're having a conversation. You're able to pose questions or share your own ideas or share what... God's been telling you or what's been challenging in your life and you share that stuff and other people are sharing that stuff and you lean into each other and support one another and encourage one another closer to Christ and, and you, we sharpen one another and that, is only, that can only happen in a group. That never happens in this room. Never happen. I mean, you may, you may hear a good message or, or, or a message behind a great song or something like that that will encourage you spur you on to change, but I'm telling you, there's no, there's, there, there's no kind of sharpening as the kind of sharpening that happens in the context of a group. It's just the, that relational aspect of faith is critical to our faith, critical to our faith. So, so it's another reason for you to get in a group. It's really critical. But we follow him by, as he said earlier, by obeying his, obeying his commands, obeying his word. We follow him by staying close to him, by getting into his word. And sometimes I, sometimes I read God's word because I just want to connect with him. And then other times I read God's word because there's some stuff I don't know and I need to study it harder and to figure out what, what it is, you know, fill in the, the gaps of my knowledge. But, but whatever it is, I'm, and I'm praying. I'm constantly praying. Praying for me, me praying, there's no right or wrong way to prayer, to pray. No right or wrong way to pray. Uh, for me, I, if you guys watch me every day, kind of day in, day out in my life, um, you might be surprised at how little of the time it looks like I'm praying. Like I, don't, I don't have a lot of dedicated kind of on-my-knees time in prayer, but I'm in constant communication with, with, with God. 
Like it's just, it's just, it's, it's more, prayer for me is more like the air that I breathe. It's just, I'm, I'm constantly talking to him. I'm constantly listening to him. I was talking to Phil before service about just yesterday driving somewhere and just feeling like God giving me a vision for something that, you know, is, is, prayer goes both ways. And, and again, it's just, it's just more natural part of my ongoing life versus a dedicated, there's nothing wrong with dedicated time. I think that's great if you do that and have the time for that and whatever. I think I would highly encourage that. But for me, it's more of a constant communication with God. And I think that that is really critical in terms of following. In terms of being changed, what does it look like to be changed in a way that shows that you're abiding in Christ? It, for me, this is an issue of humility and submission. I am in humility going to admit that God probably knows what's better for my life than I, I do. And I'm going to submit to him and give him permission to change whatever it is he needs to change about me. And sometimes that's easy, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's a small thing, sometimes it's a big thing. Sometimes the small things actually feel like the big thing, right? Sometimes small things are just something that's a natural part of the rhythm of your life, and to change that rhythm can be really difficult. But it, regardless, it's this act of submitting to him and going, whatever, whatever you need to change about me. So uh, for me, I'm just going to use myself as an example because I don't know you guys' minds, I only know mine. Um, and, and so take this for whatever it's worth to you. But I, I've, I've always said I'm, a lot of people have, you know, different spiritual gifts. We all have different spiritual gifts. There's a spiritual gift that the Bible talks about of, of hospitality and uh, compassion and hospitality, that, that sort of thing. I'm, I've always been really light naturally on those gifts. Like I'm not a hospitable person very, very much. Um, and, and so, so I laugh, but it's it's sad, but it's it's just true. I'm just I'm just not I'm just not that way, you know. Like when I go home, like I enjoy the sanctuary of my home. Anybody else enjoy the sanctuary of your home? And it's like you're glad kind of when nobody comes over, that that sort of thing. And so, so that's kind of me. I really, man, I I unplug when I get home, and I just enjoy that. And uh, but man, God's the last few years, God's really really been stretching me in some in some surprising ways. So like I honestly began to feel convicted about the lack of hospitality that I felt, because I think it is a command in Scripture that we be a hospitable people. In fact, you look through, there's a lot of stories in the Old Testament where there were dire consequences for Israel because of their lack of hospitality to, the, you know, to, to foreigners or aliens or whoever else. And so um, I just began to feel really convicted about that, and so I just started praying, God, I know you want me to be more like this, and I'm not. So just, just stretch me. I, I do want to be more like that because I want to be more like you. So just begin to stretch me. So I remember a couple of years ago, I was just on Facebook one day, and there was a, a, a young lady, single mom, who had posted on Dixon 411 about um, you know, her and her baby didn't have a place to stay. They needed a place to stay. And I didn't, I didn't know this girl from anybody. And... Um, so I just, I talked to Jamie, and I was like, is it weird that I think we should maybe open up? We had, a, Isaiah was off in Australia, and uh, so we had a spare room at the time, and I said, is it weird that I feel like we maybe should open our house to her? And she said, well, it's weird for you. <laughs> and so, and so, so um, but we talked about it and prayed about it, and we decided we would do that, and sure enough, she, you know, she moved in with us and stayed with us for a few months, and it was, it was great, and you know, that sort of thing, and and, uh, but I just, I felt God kind of nudging me in that direction, and I just decided to follow that nudge, you know? 
Then, then this last year, you know, we've uh, adopt, we're in the process of adopting a little girl, and man, that was not on our horizon or line of thought at all. But God laid this little girl on our heart, and we prayed about it, and and um, and so that's happening now. I mean, we're increasing the size of our family. My my whole philosophy behind that, it, for me, and I'm not necessarily prescribing this for you. I'm just telling you what what's working for me right now as an unhospitable person. Is um, I don't necessarily feel the desire to save everybody or or be hospitable to everybody, but I do feel like I have the obligation to be hospitable to the ones that God lays on my heart. So I'm trying to do that. I can't I can't get everybody, but if God makes one stick in my head and won't help me won't let me let it go, then then I need to be submissive enough to Him to follow Him in that. So sometimes those callings are big and sometimes they're small and you just don't know. I think part of allowing Christ to change, because a lot of times when we think about change, we only think about morality. We just think, well, you know, God help me cuss less, help me drink less, help me, you know, chew less, help me, you know, whatever. And so, you know, all these kind of moral issues. Uh, And I, I think actually God's talking more about the attitudes of our heart and our behaviors. How do we love? Why don't you try this? Try this on for size. Allow God to change the way that you love. That's, that's actually really difficult. Allow God to change the way that you love your family, the way that you love strangers, the way that you love people that he, that he kind of gives you a burden for. Allow him to change that and just respond to the whole, you know, start listening. Because this is what we all do. We have numbed ourselves to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our life so that we, the, I, I believe if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is constantly impressing things upon you. He's got a mission for you. He's got a plan for you. And he wants to involve you in his work. And he is constantly impressing things on you. We have become skilled at ignoring the Holy Spirit. Skilled like a husband with his wife. You know what I'm talking about? Guys, don't pretend you don't. Don't pretend you don't. How many times have your wife been talking to you and you are locked into something else and it's just white noise? Just white noise. Why? Because you have learned to to filter that out until the pillow hits you or until something happens to grab your attention or whatever. And oh, okay, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm listening. Right? And then then if you've got a good wife, she's like, okay, then repeat it back to me. Right? You know, that sort of thing. Right? But we do that with God where we, the Holy Spirit has just become white noise. He's constantly telling, guiding us in ways that he wants us to go, in ways that we should stretch ourselves to become a more loving, compassionate, hospitable people to the world around us. And it has become the white noise that we block out. And what I'm just, all I'm trying to do for me, and again, this is just me, work it out the way you feel like God's leading you to work it out. But for me, I'm just trying to move him from the place of white noise to a voice I'm actually hearing and just responding to whatever. whatever. The good news is that he generally doesn't call you to save everybody, but occasionally he calls you to save one or two or a few, to reach out to one or two or a few. And if I can begin to hear that and say yes, even though it's not comfortable or it doesn't go with my plan for the week or month or year or whatever, I can begin to respond in obedience and submission to that. I think that's where some of the great, at least for me, 
where some of the greatest changes in my life have been occurring just in positioning myself to hear the Holy Spirit and respond to what I hear. And I think it's something that we can all do. I'm not all, we can all do it. I'm not saying it's easy all the time. Um, and, 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 you know, and maybe you guys won't have to adopt kids in the, in the process. <laughs> but, but for me, for me, it's just been this thing of, okay, God, you seem to be leading me in that direction. I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. And that, a lot of change in my life has been happening that way. And then that actually kind of goes hand in hand on the living on mission. If, it, if, if the way God is, because the way God changes us is he makes us more fit and equipped to accomplish his mission in our life, which is all about, again, loving each other and loving our neighbors and our strangers and everybody else around us, right? So they all kind of go hand in hand. They all go hand in hand. So this is the thing, I, the kind of the big point I want to make today is this, that for those of you who want to be disciple makers, and that's a weird thing for a lot of us. We don't know like how, like very few of us in this room are probably convinced that we can make disciples, at least in my experience and conversations with, with a lot of people. People are quick to go, I'm a Christian little slower to say I'm a disciple because that seems like some sort of leveled up super Christian and way slower to assume that you could make a disciple. And yet, actually, all we're called to do in Scripture is be disciples and make disciples. That's the calling on all of our lives. If you responded to some other call, you were hoodwinked. That's, that's the call. Be a disciple and make disciples. And so how do we get past that idea of, of um, that fear of whether or not you're capable of making disciples? And it is, there is a lot of fear tied to it because it tends to be about, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't know what to say. If questions come up, I don't know. I don't know, you know, what, is it, what, ha- what has to happen? Do I have to carve out extra time in my week? And, you know, and so there's all these questions that, that revolve around that. And... The good news is that you don't have to know everything. You just have to know you and Jesus, right? You just have to know. The Bible puts it that way, that way is, is, is to offer people the hope that is in you. Offer people the hope that is in you. you I, I can't give every single answer to every single question that might come up about spiritual things or biblical things or whatever. My knowledge is limited. Your knowledge is limited, whatever. We're not always going to have all the answers, either because we don't know or because God is just plain mysterious and there are some things we aren't not really meant to know, right? So I'm not always going to have all those answers, but the answers I will always have is my own story. I can tell you where I was when I met Jesus, what he's done in my life since, and where I feel like I'm headed with him now. I, and every single one of us can do that same thing. And the beautiful thing about that is that your story will connect with people uh, that my story could never connect with, and vice versa. That, that's why he uses all of us in community to reach out to this community. That's why he shares this responsibility with us of making over this world into the kingdom of God. Our goal in this church is not just simply to fill up all the seats in this room. We will not feel like we have completed our goal until Dixon and the surrounding communities begin to actually resemble the kingdom of God. That's the goal we're aiming at. And there's a lot of work to do, amen? There's a lot of work to do. No matter how full or empty this room gets, that work, there will always be that work to do, but we are, re, we are building and ushering in the kingdom of God in this community. That's what we do. So 
But if you're going to, if you, if you, if, and hopefully this is what's going to happen because you're a follower of Jesus Christ and he's called you to go make disciples, you need to realize this point, put that up there, is that only disciples can be disciple makers. Only disciples can be disciple makers. You cannot go and make disciples unless you're also a, a, a disciple yourself. You cannot bring people to the vine if you yourself are detached from the vine. All you're, all you're recruiting is more branches for the burn pile. That's it. Attach yourself. Abide in the vine. Abide in Christ. Remain there with him. Stay close to him and bring others in to do the same. And then you'll begin to see what making disciples looks like. Now, for the next several weeks, that's what we're going to do is we're going to look at what it, what it, what it kind of looks like to practically make disciples, what needs to be in place, what our church's strategy is for that. It's very connected to groups and stuff like that. You'll hear more about that. But, but beyond just groups, it is a lifestyle that we all live, whether you're in a group or not. It's a lifestyle that we have to be engaged in as followers of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at what that looks But the first step is going to make disciples. You have to be a disciple. You have to abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Amen? Amen. So let's do that. Let's do that. Let's remain right there. Let's pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for your word to us today, and we thank you uh, that you uh, invite us to abide or remain in you. God, help us to stay close. Forgive us when we wander away. Forgive us when we convince ourselves that we can manage the affairs of our own lives and and that we are self-sufficient. Remind us that apart from you, we can do nothing, and give us a desire, a real hunger to stay close to you and to help others do the same. God, I pray that for all of us in this room who call you Lord, that you would put people in our path that would connect to our own stories so that we can connect them to you, that we would help them become disciples even as we're trying to be disciples ourselves, not as some sort of expert Christian or anything like that, but as people, uh, sinners saved by your grace who are hobbling along the best that we can, trying to stay close to you and trying to help others do the same. And so, God, use us in that capacity. Use us to bring about your kingdom in this world in whatever way that you see fit. Make us over into the people you need us to be so that you can best use us in your kingdom work. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.